Well, good morning. Hey, listen, if you missed last week, uh, it was a week that you didn't want to miss. And we, uh, we had True Crossroads Stories, which truly is one of my favorite weeks anytime we do True Crossroads Stories because there's nothing more powerful than a real story from someone's life who's been changed. And we saw three of those, actually four. There was four in three videos. We also had the privilege of hearing some stories of those that were going public with their faith and baptism. So we had two in the first service, two in the second service, and those were powerful because we said every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And whether you're here at the first service or the second service, um, there was a story after the story, believe it or not. And uh, we captured that. This happened after the second service. Take a look. So everybody, this is Eli. How cool is this? Eli came out and he said, hey, I just, uh, I really want to be baptized. I've wanted to do it. When's the next one? I told him we would schedule it right after this. And he said, is there any way? I, he said, I, I've given my life to Jesus and I know this is the next step and I'd prefer not to wait if there's any way I could do it. And I said, well, as long as we still have water, man, we'll, let's go in. We'll make Let's it happen. Is it still warm? Yes, it is. So, Eli, real quick, not to put you out, how, how old are you? 18. 18. Yeah. yeah. And what's your connection here? Like, who? Yeah, you come with somebody yep. today? Yeah, uh, the Morgan family. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they introduced it to me, and I've loved it ever since. So. Yeah. And you know you've given your life to Jesus, and this is your next step, be obedient. So, Eli, we won't hold you back, man. Thanks to everybody that went and made this happen. We got in well, He doesn't care. The water's warm. Yeah, he does <laughs> But it wouldn't be warm if he was wearing his regular clothes and got outside. Well, yeah. he was willing. He was willing to his credit, man. He said, whatever, I'll do whatever. So, Eli, we proudly baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. so cool. Listen, that was probably 10 or 15 minutes after the second service let out. I was outside like I normally am, and that's where I ran into Eli, and he shared his story. And when I came back in here, there was a bunch of people still standing around, still talking. So I'm like, hey, we got a baptism. If you guys want to stick around, nobody left. No one left. It was just, it was a moment. It was a story. So thanks for everybody that made that happen. Ladies that went down and got some of our clothes from our spontaneous baptism, brought them up. He didn't have to go home he got changed right back in his clothes, so it was, it was great. And my guess is we'll see Eli in the second service. If you want to stick around, you not, might miss something. So anyway, today we're sticking out, kicking off a brand new 
series of messages on the book of Jonah. And uh, how many, I mean, you probably, many of us are familiar at somewhat with the story of Jonah. A lot of people kind of know that. A lot of people think back to Sunday school, right? Like Jonah was this story that you learned about in Sunday school, right? And he, he, he was just a guy, he was a guy, God told him to do something, and he didn't want to do what God told him to do, and so God had a way of getting his attention, and so he sent this big old whale right across, and he swallows him up, and he's inside of the whale, and he lights a candle, and, and, and the whale throws him up on the shore, and he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life. Now, I think that's a mix of Jonah and Pinocchio. Anyway, we're going to look at the real story today, um, because I want to talk to you about the Jonah in all of us. Today, because I believe that there's Jonah in all of us, and we're going to go through this step by step for the next four weeks. And if you would take out your message outline, because this is a great story that applies to us today as much as it did to Jonah. We're going to start in Jonah chapter 1, the first three verses. Let me give you a little context here. Here's what the Bible says The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of a Mittai. And this is what God said. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And then verse 3, we see Jonah's unfortunate response. The Bible says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to do what? To flee from the Lord. Jonah was a man on the run. Let's, what I want to do, if you're taking notes, is give you a few definitions, some, some words as we set a groundwork today. If you're taking notes, Jonah, he's called by many as the reluctant prophet. He was reluctant because he didn't want to do what God wanted to do. He was a prophet of God who often did the right thing, but in this case, he did not do the right thing, and um, we're going to find out how that applies his name, if you're taking notes, it literally or it actually means dove. So he was called the dove or the peaceful one, a great nickname, if you will, who ended up disobeying God uh, but was known as the reluctant prophet because of that. The next word on your notes is the word Amittai, and that is his father's name. Jonah was the son of Amittai. Amittai actually means truth, which is a great name of a prophet to be, the son of truth. If you look at that, so God set him up exactly the way God wanted to set up to be a prophet of his, to do what God wanted him to do, and yet he had this season where he does exactly opposite of what God wanted him to do. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and that was the city Jonah was commanded to go by God and preach to, and Nineveh was Israel's worst enemy. It was Israel's worst enemy. So keep that in mind. The reason he didn't go there, right, he knew about them, and they were the worst enemy of Israel. So look at verse 1 again, because I want us to think about ourselves in this as well as Jonah, because there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Here's some good news for each one of us today, is the word of the Lord came to him. He had access. God, the word of God came to him. You and I have the word of God coming to us. We have the word of God coming to us. Any day that you choose to open up or listen to God's word is God's word coming to you. It, he's, we serve a speaking God. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other people, right? As long as they're telling the truth from God's word. He speaks through his spirit that lives in you if you're a believer, 
and he's a speaking God. And every time you open up God's word, it's the voice of God that you can rely on, that you can trust in, that is always truth, that will never lead you astray. Now, how many of you, with that being said, would say, I believe without a doubt that God's ways are better than mine, and he knows better than me? <laughs> Keep that in your mind as we go through today. Bunch of liars. Oh, anyway. <laughs> You're going to hear God's voice today because we're going to open up God's word. And I pray that we all hear it with clarity, and not just that we hear it, but we respond accordingly. We respond accordingly. The word of the Lord will come to you because when you open up God's word, he speaks. Fill this in if you're taking notes. God will often ask you to do things that you don't want to do. When you open up God's word, God's word will share some things with you, some truth with you that always has your best interest in mind. His ways are better than the world's ways. But sometimes the things he asks us to do are things that we don't want to do. Why? Because we think our way is better than his way. Let's just be honest. It was kind of like when you were being raised. Your mom or your daddy would tell you something. And you, your parents were stupid when you were growing up. You knew so much better. And there was things you're just like, yeah, I hear what they say. But I know what I want. And I'm just going to do it my way. Am I the only one that did that? I didn't think so. But we think we know is best. But we don't know what's best. How many of you think when it comes to ice cream, vanilla is best? How many would say, no, hey, it's chocolate? How many say strawberry? How many say something else? Wow, something else seems to win. But seriously, why do we not do what God wants us to do? Let's just be honest. Either we don't know, but I don't believe that's most of the time what the case is. The real deal is, is we think we know best. We hear what God says, but we got our own explanation of why we're not going to do that. And sometimes someone in authority will tell us what to do, and we think we know better than them. And that's a whole different deal because people are people. But God is not. People are fallible. God is not. People make a judgment and make their assumptions and come up with their own game plan based on human knowledge. God is God. And his ways are always best and always right. But you know what we think? We think, yeah, it may not have worked out for them, but I think it'll work out for me. You might have drove down that road and went down and the bridge was out and you hit the bottom, but I think I can make it. That's what we do. We do it. You're, you're just not a very good driver. I mean, I could do that, right? But we think we know what's best. This was the context of Jonah. God says, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it because the wickedness has come up before me. In other words, I know what's going on there, and I still care about those people even though they're evil, evil people. Now, you might wonder, why, why wouldn't Jonah do it? I mean, God was very clear. Why didn't he just obey his simple assignment? Because Jonah knew the history Jonah might have had a family member, several family members, victim of what was going on there in this Syrian empire. you got to understand maybe why Jonah hated him a little bit, so I'm going to give you just a little thumbnail sketch, and you can read this in history and find a lot more detail, but I'll just give you kind of the highlights, if you will. This Syrian empire, which Nineveh was the capital city of, um, 
They were evil, evil, evil. They were so brutal in how they handed their en- or handled their en- enemies and the people that they would grab and hold captive. It was crazy. They would torture them. I mean, they would, like, they would really, really, really torture them. When they would attack a country or a nation or people, they would, some people, when they hear, like, your town was next, right? Like, they're moving across this country, and your little town is next. They said that the fear in people was so great because of what they've heard that some people would literally commit suicide before they showed up in their town. They'd even kill their own family to keep them from being tortured by these folks. That's a bad thing, right? And what they would do oftentimes, listen, they would grab the women and they would beat them up. They would rape them. They would get the little girls and they would rape them. They would torture your kids in front of you. That's how evil they were. They would take the men then and they would torture them last. After the men watched their wives being raped and beaten and the kids being beaten and tortured, then they would take these men and they would literally skin them alive. They would strip their skin off. They would lay them in the sand. Can you imagine your skin being ripped off, laid in the sand? They would torture them. They would bury them oftentimes then up to their neck. They would pull their tongues out, and they would drive a stake through their tongue into the dirt where you would literally go crazy because you couldn't swallow. You would literally be drying up. You couldn't get water. You couldn't swallow. And they would literally go crazy sometimes before they would die. And then if that wasn't enough, once they died, they would cut their heads off and they would stack all these men's heads up in a place so people could see them. And basically that was kind of like their calling card. We're coming for you next. So God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to that place and I want you to share the good news. Jonah's like, hmm. Don't want to go. And you know what you and I already are thinking? I don't blame him. Remember we said, does God know best or do we know best? God says, Jonah, I want you to go because I love them. They're evil people, but we all are. Now, we're not that evil. I got it. But none of us qualify for heaven. I'm pretty sure you don't read this part about it in history, but I'm pretty sure when they buried them up to their neck and they pulled their tongues out and drove a stake through there until they would literally die from not having any water. I'm pretty sure over loudspeakers they played Justin Bieber and Mariah Carey music just to torture them even more. <laughs> that part you won't find in history, but I'm pretty sure it was true. <laughs> but don't you find yourself having a little bit more of an understanding of why Jonah might have said, I don't want to go there? What if one of his family members lived there and went through that and he heard about it? I can see why you wouldn't want to go there. But the word of the Lord came to him, and he told him what to do, and Jonah decided, I don't want to do that. You and I read God's word. We hear God's word. And if you're like most people, we filter things. We're like, ooh, I really like that. That turns out well. I think I might do that. Ooh, I don't really like the way that feels for my life right now. I'll pass on that. We do that all the time. You can have somebody really wrong you in your family or at work, and you hear a message on forgiveness. You read God's Word, and it talks about forgiving, and the way that you forgive others is how God forgives you, and you're like, oh, man, but I don't want to forgive. And I don't believe they're really sorry. And I don't believe they deserve for me to be forgiven them, so I'm not going to do it. Eh. 
There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. God, I hear what you're saying, but no thanks. I'll pass on that. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. We're going to learn as we go through these next four weeks. If you don't learn anything else, you're going to learn some things today, and we're going to build on those things today. And I'm telling you, the right way to go always is to trust God and to follow his instructions. You pick the topic. (laughs) Forgiveness, that's a biggie. Tithing, ooh, that's a huge one. God says we're not owners. We're managers. We're stewards. He says give the first tenth part back. How cool is that around tax time? Can you imagine what God's work can be done? Just with tax time, if everybody did that. You know how many, what percentage of Christians actually tithe? 3%, 3 out of 100. There's 97 Jonas out of every 100. But we explain it away. Oh, I do it in a different way. I got this idea, I've got that idea. It doesn't change what God's word says. I can't afford to. That's because you're not doing it God's way, right? So there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. It's the way you date. It's how you treat another person. It's not following God's way for how do you treat your future spouse? How do you treat someone else's future spouse when you're dating? What do you do? What don't you do? How do you date? How do you, yeah, there's a little bit of Jonah in all those. Well, that's old-fashioned. God's truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not old-fashioned. It's in fashion. And his ways are always right, and they're always best. Just remember this. This isn't on your note sheets, but you might remember this. This is worth remembering. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, and he said, "Mm, no, I'm going the other way. That was delayed, right? It was disobedience right away. We're going to learn more about that story as we move. But we kind of teach kids that, Ray, right? Anybody ever do the counting method with your kids? Go do that. They don't do it. I said, go do that. They didn't do it. Okay, I'm going to count to three. One. You know what comes next, right? You better go. Two. They're still not moving. We get real creative. Two and a half. You know what we just taught our kids? Delayed obedience. They know we don't really mean anything until we get to three. My parents didn't count to three. My parents weren't that bright. They counted to one. And I didn't believe them for a long time. I was stubborn. But, yeah, anyway. I learned the hard way. Let's just put it that way. Can you, let me tell you something about maturity. You want to know how maturity, mature you are as a follower of Christ, if you are one? You can tell the maturity of a person between the distance of when they hear the truth of God, the command of God, and when they actually obey it. The quicker that happens, the more obedient you are, the more mature you are. If you're, it's way delayed, it's like, no, I've been reading this about forgiveness forever. I've been reading about tithing. Yeah, I've heard that a thousand times. I'm still not doing it. The distance between when you learn God's truth and when you actually obey it, it shows your level of maturity. People like to talk about how mature they are, but if they don't look at their own lifestyle, you're, you're kind of indicting yourself by the distance between what God says and when you actually do it. That's how maturity works. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. <laughs> I used to be really hard on Jonah, and then I learned about the history, and I'm like, ooh, I can see why you didn't want to go. We all have our way of explaining our disobedience away. The word of the Lord will come to you. Our God speaks, and when he do, 
when he does, he wants us to obey. Why? Because he loves us and he's for us. So, Number one, God will often ask us to do things that we don't want to do. Number two, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Let me tell you that. I don't care who you are, what, when you grew up, where you live, whatever you do, you'll always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Hey, I want to obey God. I want to do what God wants me to do. And then all of a sudden, your old buddy comes up and says, hey, man, haven't seen you in a long time. Let's go. Remember we used to go such and such and do such and such? Let's go do that, man, like the good old days. And you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this, but I haven't seen him in a long time. And I go, and then pretty soon I did what I used to do, and I said I wouldn't do that anymore. And oddly enough, I got the same results I did back then. <laughs> Watch how this happens to Jonah. Verse 3, but Jonah, this is after God telling him where he wanted him to go, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, can I just pause right there? When you sail in the wrong direction, you always pay a fare. There's always a price to pay when you go the wrong way. When God says, do it this way, and you say, no, I think I'll do it this way, and we explain it away, you can even get a group of people around you say, I see why you're not doing it, because you know quite how I don't do that either. You'll always pay the fare. There's always a price to pay when you go the opposite way. God said, go east to Nineveh. And Joe said, no, 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 no. He went west. He went exactly opposite, and he went to Tarshish, which, by the way, you know how far that is? 2,500 miles. He didn't just, like, go to the next town. He went 2,500 miles in the exact opposite way of where God wanted him to go. You know what they say back in that day, in that time of travel? You know how long it would take to do that? About a year. That's a long time to go the opposite way of what God told him to do, isn't it? That's a lot of running. That's a lot of days sailing. Some of us have been sailing a long time in the wrong direction. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Somewhere along the way, right, a week or a day turned into a week, and a week turned into two weeks. Two weeks turned into a month, and a month turned into two months. And then all of a sudden, your years, you know, that happens to a lot of people in the relationship of God and going to church and reading their Bible and praying and serving. It happens one day, one week, one month at a time. Before you know it, you're a long way away from where you used to be and where God wanted you to be. Maybe for some of you, you say, man, I don't really feel like I've run. And I would say, you might be right. I think more of us drift than we run. You know how drifting works, right? I remember being a kid, we used to rent a cottage up at Silver Lake almost every summer. We'd go there for like a month. We'd get those air mattresses, the ones that would make you get lightheaded because you just blew them up by yourself. And you'd say, I'm going to go out and play. I'm going to lay on that raft. I'm just going to chill for a bit. And you get on that thing and you kind of get calm and you're laying in the sun. You hear people in the boats and all the things going around. Then you look up and you're like, where did my cottage go? Somebody moved our cottage. My parents were there, right there sitting on the beach. And where are they at? They all moved. I don't even recognize these places, you've drifted. Just slowly the water was moving. You didn't even really not recognize it. It was happened so subtly. And pretty soon an hour or two hours went by and you're just laying there and you wake up and you've completely changed 
where you're at. That's what happens to most of us. I talk to people all the time. Hey, I haven't seen you at church in a long time. Yeah, you know what? Man, we need to get back. And then they recognize it's been a year. It's been two years. Huh? How in the world? They didn't leave church one day and say, I'm not going back to church for a year. I'm not going back for three more weeks, four more weeks, six more weeks, two more months. They drift. The devil loves for us to drift away from God because God's ways are better than ours. He doesn't want us to benefit that. These aren't coincidences. <laughs> We're drifting. A lot of us have drifted. If there was a time where you were closer to God when you were more into the things of God, when you served more, when you gave more, when you read more, when you prayed more, when you invited more, when you were doing life with other Christians more, you've drifted. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. This isn't just a story about Jonah. It's a story about us. God will often ask us to do things that we won't, don't want to do. You'll always find a boat that's headed in the wrong way, sailing in the wrong direction of what God wants. Number three, if you're taking notes, is God may send a storm to grab your attention. He may just send a storm to grab your attention. Am I saying that God is going to look for a way to zap you every time you go and you drift a little bit? No, but if I was God, I would. Wouldn't you? Like God is so patient with us. And it breaks his heart to see us drifting and drifting because he knows we're going in the wrong direction. He knows that when you go the wrong direction, there's just things that happen. There's consequences that come. You might not get caught today. It might not affect you negatively today. But when you go the wrong way, you go the opposite way of what God wants you to do. Listen, he wants the, what's best for you. And he says, that's that way. And you say, nah, that really doesn't compute in my head. God, I'm going to do it that way. We get everything that comes with our choices. We just don't always get it now. Huh. Sometimes then God grabs our attention. Look at verse 4. Jonah was on the run, <laughs> 2,500 miles away, man. He's on that boat saying, whew, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, God, I can't do that. Then the Lord sent a great wind and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Can I tell you this boat that he jumped on was full of sailors? They did what they did for a living. They were transporting cargo. That's what they did for a living. And the storm got so crazy that the sailors were freaking out. They thought the ship was going to break apart. Now, that's a storm. And they were freaked out. They were so freaked out by the wind and the booms and thinking that the actual structure of the boat was going to break away. And everybody's screaming help. And if you don't think sailors have some egos... Who's going to be the first one to scream pretty soon? They're all screaming. That's a storm. They're like, what are we going to do? What, what, what are we going to do? We're all going to lose our lives. And then they start thinking, what is going on here? This is like beyond us. We've never seen a storm like this. I wonder what's going on. And somebody's like, what? I wonder whose fault it is. Like maybe this God that I don't even know if I believe in, but if there's a God, maybe this God is angry about something. So they decide to do this lottery thing. They kind of break straws, and they're like, everybody's going to break a straw. And they're trusting in a God they don't even believe, but whoever draws a short straw, maybe you're the problem. They're in desperation. Jonah draws the short straw. Maybe it's him. Pick up the story, verse 9. Jonah answers them because they're like, hey, whose fault is it? He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. To which I'd have said, Are you, do you really, Jonah? <laughs> oh, I know you believe in him. I know you know him. But are you really worshiping him? 
as Lord? As the one who knows better than you? It's funny how we talk it, but we don't live it, right? There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He's got some right answers even. Hey, the Lord's the one that made the sea. The one, Lord's the one that made the land. He, can, he calms the storms. He can make a storm happen. Verse 10, this terrified them, and they asked, what in the world have you done? <laughs> you that believe in the Lord, that created all this, what have you done? Because they knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them. Hey, I'm running. <laughs> My God told me to do this. I'm doing this, man. I'm like way away from him now. Look at me. Jonah starts bringing up the God talk again. Just look around our world today. There's a generation of Christians that we know how to talk the right thing. We know how to answer the right questions the right way, but our lifestyle doesn't match our talk. Our lifestyle doesn't match God's Word. There's never been a day in history that equals what we do today as Christians. If you look at a group of Christian people for the most part and you look at a group of secular people that don't even claim to know God and you how, see how they treat money, see how they treat people, see how they treat dating, see how they treat marriage, there's hardly no difference. We blend in so well. We do the same things. We just talk it differently. That seems to come across harsh I think maybe we need some harshness because one of the things I know is one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of what I taught when I didn't teach. And I think we need to know the truth. And I want you to know when I talk, I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking alongside of you because I'm a fellow struggler as well. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. We just pick the area, pick the topic. We all, you know what I tell people, and this is honest, and I don't say it as a joke, but most of us as Christians are educated beyond our level of obedience. I know more of God's truth than what I practice. There's a little bit of Jonah in me. You think, Jonah, worship God. Do what he says, really? How about me? How about you? We all have our little private rebellions, our little topics that we're like, mm, God, yeah, you know what? I really want your help here, but I'd really prefer you just stay out of this life because I don't want to hear this anymore. I'm going to do it my way. Look at verse 12. Here you can see it. Do you know what? Jonah finally owns up. Finally owns up. And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it'll become calm. Do you see? He's still got a faith component. He knows that this storm is because of him. And finally, when he comes clean, after kind of bragging that, yeah, I'm on the run. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe in God. Yep, I, you know, he's the one that calms. He's the one that controls all this. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's my Lord, although I'm not following him, which is a contradiction of what Lord means. And finally, he says, okay, I'm the problem. Just pick me up and throw me off this boat, and the sea will grow calm. He even trusts that God will calm the sea when he's off because he knows God has sent a storm to get his attention, to get him back on track to do what God wants him to do. Because how many of you know that when God says go this way and you say no, that God's not going to change his mind later? <laughs> so the sailors, they're going to have mercy on him. 
They hear what he says, but they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to throw him into the sea. He's going to drown. We don't want that on us. If this God is really real, right, and we throw him over and he drowns, and I touched him and helped throw him off the boat, I'm not going to do that. So you know what they do? They try it their way. They're like, let's get rid of some extra cargo. The problem with this ship right now, we're going to break apart because we're carrying too much load. So even though that's our living, and even though we're not going to have to be able to deliver what we're supposed to deliver, let's throw it overboard to try to lighten the ship, and maybe, maybe, maybe we can weather the storm. And so they start unloading stuff. They start throwing stuff off the ship. They're trying to do it their way, and it's not working. (laughs) don't we try that God I hear what you say but I'm going to do it a different way you're really stepping on my toes in this area God so I don't really want to hear anything else about that can we talk about this over here Hmm. didn't do anything so finally they just say we don't have a choice Jonah we're sorry buddy but we're going to throw you overboard. And so they wrap their arms around him. They throw him overboard. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, the sea grows calm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the sailors had to process? They didn't believe in God. And all of a sudden, huh? He hit the water, the water grew calm. But now they're watching him bob out there. And then if you know the story, he's swallowed up by a big fish. You might have learned in Sunday school or somebody told you a whale came by and swallowed him up. The Bible doesn't say a whale swallowed him up. But the Bible says a big fish swallowed him up. Now there's all kinds of da- all kinds of debates. Could there really be a fish big enough to swallow up a man and let him live for three days with all the stuff going on in a fish's stomach and the acids and how would he breathe? Listen, if God can create all that we see, the mountains and the rivers and the trees and all the species by speaking the word, God certainly can create a fish big enough to swallow up a man and let him live in there three days. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I see four or five of you are impressed. Can you imagine the smell in there with what fishes eat? Can you imagine the acids that have to dissolve the stuff that a fish eats? Can you imagine how dark and how wet and smelly that would be inside of that fish for three days? You're not as looking forward to lunch so much now, are you? which leads us to thought number four. Don't worry, we're going to hit this stuff in more detail. I'm trying to lay a foundation today. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) You're running the opposite way. God, I'll do it my way. I hear what you say, but I got my own idea. You get away with it, and you get away with it, and you drift, and you drift, and drift, and nothing seems to happen. I got this. And all of a sudden, something happens. And again, I'm not even saying that everything, you don't think that everything bad happens to you is God trying to zap you. Because if God wanted to zap you, he'd zap you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's often way patienter than I would be. Look at verse 15 through 17. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Verse 16, at this, the men, get this, the men, the sailors, the ones that didn't even believe in God, they greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. It didn't just change Jonah's life, it changed the sailors' 
life, and they made vows to him, to God. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow up Jonah, not a whale, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And what Jonah could see is the worst possible scenario. Don't you think when he hit the water, he thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to drown. I can't swim that far and that long. And then, ooh. It's like, whew, I'm not going to drown. Then he went, oh, I'm not going to drown. This is gross. This is dark. This is disgusting. What did you eat? Some of you might right now be experiencing what you think is the worst thing possible. Your financial situation, maybe your health, maybe the loved one's health, and you feel completely hopeless. Maybe a marriage, maybe a relationship with one of your kids. You're just like, I just don't see how I go on. Again, I'm not telling you everything that goes bad in your life is God causing that to happen. There's some things just because God set it all up, if I do things my way and it's against God's way, if I go out and run around in the street with my eyes closed and there's cars, I might get run over and you're like, oh, God sent the car. Nope. I ran out in the dumb street with my eyes closed. Right? God allows us to do some of those things so he can still get our attention because he wants what's best for us and he loves us. One of the most painful days in my life is when my mom was found unconscious on her couch and within two weeks was dead. She was 71 years old. I really thought I'd do my mom's funeral one day and tell everybody that she didn't know Jesus and she's probably separated for all eternity. But just two weeks before my mom was found unconscious on the couch. She gave her heart and life to Jesus. I watched my stepdad go through more pain than I've ever seen when my mom was gone. And I was in pain because my dad didn't know Jesus either. But in being able to speak at my mom's funeral and telling everybody that just weeks ago she gave her life to Christ, the last time she was at Crossroads was the day I baptized my own mother. At my mom's funeral, my dad stood up and gave his life to Jesus. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Three years after that date, we buried my dad, and I did my dad's funeral, and I was able to tell everybody what, what happened when my mom died and what my dad did at my mom's funeral, and that I got to baptize my dad, and I know that they're both together in heaven because of what they did with Jesus. Every story doesn't work out that way, but I'm telling you, folks, we have a loving Heavenly Father that speaks to us. His Word is alive. It's active. He's still speaking today. He's still changing lives today. If you were here last week, if you were here the last baptism when we had 26 people go public with their faith, God is changing lives through this church called Crossroads, and the devil would like to do nothing more than to see us drift. And we can't drift. There's too much at stake. If you want to go the opposite direction 
of what God wants. There's always a ship going that way. If you want to do things your way, you can always do things your way. But it's never the right way. You've got to understand that God loves you more than life itself. He proved it by sending his son to die so you and I wouldn't have to. But there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And if we can use Jonah's wake-up call to be our wake-up call, those of us that know him, that's a great day. That's a great day. Is to say, God, forgive me for my drifting. And from this day forward... When I open up your word and you speak, I'm going to go your way because your way is better than mine and I trust you more than I trust me. And can I tell you what, Crossroads, there's a, there's a community, there's surrounding communities and there's a world that God has put us together in this time and this season that he wants us to make an impact on. And for us to do it, we've got to keep our eyes on him you got to go his way for his honor and for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you so much for today. Thanks for your truth, your word. Oh, God, you're amazing. You're amazing. God, I pray for every believer that's here that um, we notice the Jonah in all of us. We don't try to justify it by saying, well, that's all of us. Yeah, 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 we all, none of us are perfect. We know that. But God, we would just trust you, that we would obey you, <laughs> that we would go your way, that we would trust you. Those areas that we're trying to do it our own, that we'd do it your way, that we just draw a line in the sand and say, we're doing it your way. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, can I tell you, today's your day. If you'll provide the sinner that you are, he provides a Savior. His name is Jesus, who came and lived and was tortured and beaten for you, for what you did wrong, not for what he did wrong. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him and ask him to be Savior and Lord and invite him into your heart, he will. And he'll give you credit for his perfection because he's already paid for your imperfections. And as he defeated death on the third day and defeated the grave, you can as well and you'll spend eternity with him. You get eternal life the moment you give your heart to him. That will last for the rest of your life, and that will last for all eternity. If that's you, make this your prayer. Say, God, thanks for today. Thanks for bringing me here. Thanks for speaking to me in a way I can understand. God, I am a sinner. I admit it, and I turn from my sin, and by faith I turn to you. I don't understand it all, God, but I trust you. I receive you as Lord and Savior, and from this day forward, I want to live for you. I want to obey you, follow you, trust you, learn to love you like you love me. For all of my days and for all eternity, use me to bring honor and glory to you. Use my time, my talent, and the treasures that you put in my hand to do something bigger than me. For your honor and for your glory. And we say thanks. We give you the praise in your name.